morning, everybody. I'm going to get set up here. If you need a Bible, if you want to raise your hands, um, we'll get someone to get one to you. Revelation, chapter 9, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses. Um, so we have moved from the breaking of the seventh seal, um, a seal that has introduced us to the next set of judgments, which are the, the seven trumpet judgments. And we looked at the first four of those judgments um, last Sunday, and that was the entirety of chapter 8. And we saw how this judgment, how it affected the land, uh, the sea, the, the fresh water of the rivers and the lakes, and also the heavenly bodies. And then John described for us um, an eagle. Now, we know that other translations have angel. It's very possible this was an angel. This angel flew overhead. John was watching it. And the angel declared in chapter 8, verse 13, he said, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So those three woes refer to the three trumpets yet to come. And they are going to be even more devastating than the previous judgments. So we saw how the first four judgments affected the physical, it affected the earth. And, and now the focus shifts from the physical to the spiritual realm. And this is a, a very interesting uh, piece of scripture. So let's read verse 1 and we'll pray. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. So this is verse 1 of chapter 9. And I saw, so this is John, the apostle John speaking. Remember, he's on the island of Patmos where he received this vision. And he says, I saw a star fallen from the heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So, Lord, we, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises, Lord, that we belong to you. And I thank you, Lord, and we give you thanks that as believers, that if these things happen in, in, in our lifetime, that we will not experience them, Lord, because we will be with you. So, Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Um, and, Lord, we know that we don't deserve um, the love that you pour out upon us, Lord, but such is your grace. We love you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to, to speak through me. May the words that come out of my mouth be from you. And I also ask that you bind the enemy from this place and open our hearts to, to your word. Amen. So just as the angel blows the fifth trumpet, John describes how he sees a star that had fallen from heaven to the earth. But who or what, you know, what is, the, what is this star that John is talking about? Because in the previous chapter, we have seen, well, John had described to us a, a number of heavenly bodies that had crashed into the earth. Um, but this is, diff this is different. 
because this star, if you notice, it, it's referred to as if it's a person. You know, it, it's given, the star is given, if you, if you will, a, a personality. And if you look at verse 1, it says, he, he was given. And then in verse 2, it says, he opened. So John is clearly referring to an individual here. And if you look, if you jump forward to verse 11 here in chapter 9, this star is, is also given a title, a position, and it is the king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. So clear it's an individual, but why is this individual referred to as a star? And we see in the book of Job how angels are referred to, in fact, as stars. We see in Job um, chapter 38, verse 7, he said, when the morning stars, referring to angels, sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And there are many other examples in Scripture, and particularly the Old Testament, where we see angels re referred to by different names, different titles and, and phrases. And also notice how John describes this specific angel as having fallen. So this was something that, this is past tense. This, for John, this had already happened. So this angel had fallen from heaven onto the earth. We see that in verse 1. So this, we know this from other scripture, it is a clear reference to Satan. So this is who John is speaking about here. And we see this similar language um, used by the prophet Isaiah when he describes Satan's fall in Isaiah 14, verse 12. And uh, it makes a lot more sense if you read it from the New King James. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. And in fact, this word Lucifer means brightness. And Isaiah continu continues, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And if, if, you, if you remember in the Gospels, remember how Jesus sent his followers out to, to minister uh, among the people, to travel to different towns and villages. And remember how they returned and they were, they were absolutely delighted with themselves that, that they were able to, to cast out demons, to drive demons out of people. And Jesus, his reply was interesting. Jesus told him in Luke 10, 18, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So again, past tense. So as I said, this star here in verse 1 is, is Satan. And we are told how he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, these two words, bottomless pit, comes from one Greek word, and it's the Greek word abyss. And we see a reference to, to the abyss in, in the Apostle Peter's second letter, in chapter 2, verse 4. He said, For if God did not spare angels, so he's warning believers of judgment. He said, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So here we see Peter referring to the abyss, the abyss, as hell. 
Jude also describes, and Jude is a, is a really interesting, really interesting book. Jude chapter 1, verse 6. Jude said, angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the day. And this is the day that Jude is pointing to, the day that John is describing here. Now, not all commentators agree, but a vast majority of them believe that what Jude is referring to here is a reference to those angels who had sexual relationships with women, with human women. And we see that in Genesis 6 too. Because Jude speaks about sexual, this, this act, this sexual immorality with women by these demons, he, he, he refers to strange flesh, and he, he speaks about strange flesh in the next verse. So because of this, because these, these demonic beings have sinned in that specific way, God cast them into the, into the abyss, a.k.a. hell. Also in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, we see how, remember how the demons begged Jesus not to send them into the abyss, into hell. So, so even the demons do not want to be in this place. And it's a place where Satan will be imprisoned during the millennium kingdom, during the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And we see this happening in chapter 20 of Revelation. And we're told how an angel comes down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And then he tells how he threw him into the pit and how he could no longer deceive humanity for those thousand years. But as we know, he will be left out again after the thousand years and eventually be thrown into the lake of fire. So this bottom and pit is where these demonic forces are held until this, until this trumpet, until the tr fifth trumpet is blown. So the way I look at them, they're like God almost have, has these demonic beings in reserve. So they are in addition to the demonic forces that are already on this earth. So Satan's been given the key to this shaft of the bottomless pit. But who gave him this key? And this is important. It, it's Jesus. You know, and we know this because Jesus told us himself back in chapter 1. He said in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, that he has the keys of death and Hades. So it is Jesus who gives Satan the key to open the abyss and let loose this judgment. So this points, doesn't it, that God's in control. He's in, 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 he's in charge. Satan is not calling the shots. And the world as we know it will, according to God's plan, it will come to an end. That's, that is going to happen. And again, it's according to his will. And now in verse 2, let's read it. So he, referring to Satan, 
opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. So as Satan opens um, the shaft of the bottomless pit, we see this dense and extremely hot smoke billowing from the abyss. Smoke so thick that John describes how it, how, it, how it darkens the sun. But, you know, this was only the beginning because out of the smoke will come this, this new terror. And we see that in verse 3. From, then from the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Now we can see, particularly in the Old Testament, we see how God uses locusts, real locusts, as a judgment against not only Israel, but against the nations. When we look at the ten judgments that God poured out upon Egypt, we see how the eighth judgment um, was a plague of lo locusts. And I said, these are real locusts. And, you know, Exodus describes how the plague was so thick that it blacked out the light of the sun and that these locusts, they, they ate everything, everything that they saw, and all the, all the plants, all the fu 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 tr fruit trees were, were destroyed, were eaten up. We see God speaking through the prophet Amos. You know, God brought judgment against Israel on a number of occasions, and we know that from God's word. God spoke through to, to Israel through the prophet Amos, and he said, I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts have devoured. And then God says, yet you did not return to me. So again, God is getting people's attention by using judgment. And he's doing the very same thing here in, in chapter 9. And we've seen this in, in previous uh, chapters. God trying to get humanity's attention. For what purpose? For them to understand and accept the truth of the gospel message. You know, even today, different countries experience huge loss from locusts, from real locusts. Yes, last year alone, I found this a fascinating uh, statistic, that locusts destroyed 40% of Pakistan's wheat, cotton, and vegetable crop. 40%. It's, it's incredible. And in strangely strange coincidence, yesterday on the news, we see that there was a plague of locusts at this very moment in East Africa, and it's causing major problems over there, devouring um, crops, and people are very concerned that there's going to be a famine. Um, one of the news channels, I think it was BBC, reported this morning that India today is going through the very same thing. Uh, crops being devastated by these locusts. But here in Revelation, John describes these demonic creatures pouring out of hell. And when he saw them, you know, there, there were so many that he describes them as, as a swarm of locusts. And they were given, as we're told in verse 3, the power like that of scorpions. So again, this is God's judgment. And it's also important to know here that during this time, and we see this if you look down to verse 20, 
in chapter 9, it clearly says that in this time, people are worshipping demons. They're worshipping demons. So God is giving them, isn't he? God is giving them, well, if you're going to worship demons, here's some demons. You know, if this is what you want, I am going to give it to you. So here, humanity comes face to face with the realities, what demons are really like. And they want to kill, to steal, and destroy. And we see this today, don't we? And it's so prevalent in society. People getting themselves involved with, with the occult, in the black arts, in, in paganism. And a, a recent study in the United States showed that a large and an ever-growing number of people are, are getting involved and believe in reincarnation, astrology, fortune-telling, palm reading, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and, and it kind of reminds me, a few, a few years back, I was introduced to, to a man. Um, I'm going back a good few years. And he, he was a psychic medium. And he, he met up with, with Clay, the previous lead pastor, because he had an interest in Christianity. And Clay asked me, when we had the offices in O'Connell Street, Clay asked me, would I, would I be interested in, in joining the meeting? And I, I jumped to the chance. You know, you don't often get to meet a guy who claims to be a, a psychic medium. Um, so yeah, we sat down and, and shared the gospel with him, and he was a really, really nice guy. And... You know, as, as, as Clay was talking to him, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, if this guy is under any kind of demonic influence, you know, please show me. And the Lord did. Um, the Lord gave me a vision while the guy was sitting there and a vision that I later shared with this guy. And the vision made sense to him. And it, it, it you know, and I was very straight with the guy. I told him that he was which is my way, I think. Um, I told him that he was being, being, and I did it with a loving heart and concern. I told the guy that, look, you are being used by Satan, and not only are you being deceived, but that Satan is using you to deceive other people. And it, it kind of reminded me of Paul's encounter with, with the slave girl when he entered uh, the city of, of Philippi. You know, it's recorded for us in, in Acts chapter 16. And Luke writes that she had a spirit of divination. In other words, she was demonically possessed. And this spirit gave her the ability to foretell the future. So this stuff wasn't made up. This was real. She had a real gift and could tell the future. But it was given to her by the devil. And this gift that she had, it made her owners a lot of money, a lot of money. And for days, if you remember, she followed Paul and Silas, and she was shouting with a loud voice, she said, these men are servants of the Most High God who, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And Paul got so fed up with this slave girl following him around that he delivered her from this spirit, from this demonic spirit. And when the spirit left her, so too did her ability to tell the future. And that was the very reason why this guy, and he may have, he may have repented 
because I haven't seen him in years since then, but that's why he refused to repent and accept Christ. You know, he told me, I don't want to lose my abilities. You know, and he was making, I don't know how much he was making, but he was making a living out of this. And there was such pride in his gifting, and I explained to him, yeah. So, just unfortunate, you know, but blessed to be able to share the gospel with him, and praise God that God revealed to me that, you know, what it was. Um, but, you know, Satan has done an absolutely fantastic job in convincing people that the, the occult isn't really bad. That, that it's only a bit of fun, a bit of crack. Get involved, you know, pull the Ouija board out at a party, and let's enjoy ourselves. But here in chapter 9, we are shown what demons are really like. And just like locusts, they will bring a swarming destruction upon all those people who have ref refused to accept Christ. And that's the reality. But look at verse 4. They're told that they cannot harm the grass of the earth or any of the green plants or trees, but only those people who have not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So these demons, and remember, God's in control. They are told that you're only allowed to target unbelievers. That's it. Nothing else. That is their target. The vegetation of this earth is to be left alone. So too were those who had the seal of God on their foreheads. And who, who did God seal? And you can remember from earlier chapters. We have the 144,000 Jewish men, Jewish men who, who've accepted Christ. They have been sealed and protected, and they will survive uh, the, the seal, the trumpet, the, the bold judgments, and they will enter the millennium kingdom. Every single one of them will be accounted for. They will enter the millennium kingdom alive because God's seal is upon them. Now, we're told that these demons are going, what these demons are going to do on, to unbelievers. So this is the effect that they have on them in verse 5. They're allowed to torment them for five months. That's it. They're not allowed to kill them. And then we're given a description of the, of the torment. It says, it was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. So Satan and his demonic realm, they're really showing their true colors here, aren't they? Up until now, the, the message has been from the Antichrist, you know, bow down, worship me, and I will give you anything you want. You know, that time has now passed. And people are seeing Satan for who he really is. Hopefully they'll realize that they've been deceived. And we're told in 1 Peter 5.8, Peter tells us, tells believers that we're to be sober-minded. We're to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. So that's what he wants to do. The devil wants to devour you. He wants to bring as many people with him to hell as he possibly can. 
Jesus said concerning Satan in John 10.10. He said, the thief, referring to the devil, comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Then Jesus says, he gives us an alternative. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, as I said, Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy not just Christians, but humanity. Why? Because he hates God's creation. And before coming to Christ, I experienced Satan's will in my life. You know, and it nearly killed me. But in Jesus, my life has been transformed. And as Jesus says, I do have life abundantly. Absolutely blessed. So how can we stand against him as believers? Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians, he instructs us to to pull on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And, And this word scheme comes from the Greek word methodia, and it's where we get the English word method. So methodia can also be translated as wiles or craftiness. And Satan always hides the hook in his attempt to destroy people. You know, therefore it's vital that we recognize the areas in our lives that he likes to attack the areas that we're weakest in, the soft points. In other words, what schemes is Satan using against you today? What's he doing? Where's he attacking? Are you listening to his lies? Those, those whispers that your struggles can never be overcome by trusting in the Lord. I've heard those. Is he tempting you into sin and what happens then? Then comes the condemnation, doesn't it? Call yourself a Christian, you hypocrite. Or does he have you distracted? Remember that Satan doesn't necessarily have to use sin in your life. He can just as easily use something neutral like sports, social media, to keep you distracted. Distracted from what? Reading God's word, spending time in prayer serving your fellow brothers and sisters. Distraction. The world is full of it, isn't it? I don't think there's ever been a generation so distracted. Everyone has their head stuck in their phones, don't they? And this is why it is so important that we put on the whole armor of God, not just parts of it, But guys, that cannot happen unless we submit ourselves to God. And I like what James wrote in James chapter 4, verse 7. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And and this word submit, it's translated from a Greek military term. Let me just try this. It's uh, hupasto. Sounds like pasta, doesn't it? Hupotasso, there you go, second time lucky. Now, the hupo means under, and the tasso means to arrange. 
So it means to obey, to be obedient, to, sum to submit yourself to authority, to a leader. And it's when you and I as believers submit our own will for God's will in our lives, when we do that, we're told, we're actually promised here by James, do that and Satan will flee for you. He will flee. Now, Satan would have certainly wanted to kill those mentioned in verse 5. The last thing that he wants is for them to accept Christ. That's the last thing he wants. But God, in yet another example of his incredible mercy and grace, he's not going to allow that to happen. And interesting here, these five months... Is the, life, is the lifespan of our, of our locusts. And they live between May and September. So these demonic beings have been given just five months to torment people. You know, unbelievers will experience five, men, five months of intense spiritual, physical suffering. So God here, he's given them a taste of hell. And the judgment here is described as being like a scorpion sting. Now, I haven't been stoned by a scorpion. I got stoned by a wasp once. Um, that wasn't too nice. As we say in Waterford, a wasp. <laughs> Anyone been stoned by a scorpion? No. You need to get out more. <laughs> so... Yet despite the intense pain and torment, despite the suffering, these people will hear the remedy. They will hear the gospel. And throughout this, this, this tribulation period, we will have the Jewish evangelists, the 144,000, proclaiming the good news. We have the two witnesses of chapter 11, Men who have been appointed by God uh, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. And when we get to that chapter, we see how they will preach the gospel. They will perform incredible miracles. And these tormented unbelievers will also hear the gospel from tribulation saints. Those who have given their lives during the tribulation period. But for many, these five months will be their last opportunity to repent and believe. So verse 6. So in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So these individuals who are being tormented, they will believe that death, that death will deliver them from this torment. And yet this... Um, so here's another description. Because there is only one way in which you can find peace. Only one way. And it is to know Jesus. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, speaking to his disciples, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Then he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. 
Jesus promises us believers tribulation. Why is that? Because life ain't easy. It's not. It's hard for a Christian, and it's even, it's even harder for non-Christians. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. So this is Asia Minor. This is Turkey. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. Here we have one of the, if not the greatest evangelists in history. Paul was incredible. A man who wrote a, a quarter of the New Testament. But yet here he is, pouring out his heart. Describing such hardships. And there are times when God will stretch us way beyond anything that we can handle. Anything that we can get through in our own strength. Why does he do that? Paul answers that question in, in, in the next verse. 2 Corinthians 1.10 To make us reply, rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So peace is found when we rely upon Jesus. So death isn't the answer for these who have been tormented by these demonic locusts. They, they need Jesus. What's less clear in this verse is why even though they seek death, they are unable to die. They're unable to die. So there's lots of debate as to what this means. Uh, maybe this verse points to the control that these demons have over these people. And we see this in the Gospels, don't we? People who are being possessed by demonic spirits and how they have absolutely no control over their body, no control whatsoever. So maybe that's, that's what it refers to. So now in verse 7, John gives us a description of these locusts. So in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, and their faces were like human faces. So John begins by comparing them to horses. Now John obviously would have seen a horse. And the, the, a horse is the closest thing that he knows to describe these creatures. And he describes how it looks like they had crowns on their heads. Maybe this, is a, this points to their authority, the authority that's been given to them for these five months. To, to torment the earth. They also have um, human-like characteristics um, in that their faces looked human, which may indicate that they are rational beings, unlike insects. Um, their hair was like woman, woman's hair. Um, getting, it's getting freaker as we make our way down, doesn't it? In fact, we have a graphic. Leon, do you want to throw up the, the graphic? Make a good tattoo, wouldn't it? Now, so they have woman's hair. Some commentators believe that 
This describes uh, an emphasis. This describes how these demons are, are it describes their seductiveness. Um, I don't know how. Um, and then we see, describe how they have teeth like a lion. So this describes their ferocity, their rage. They had uh, breastplates like breastplates of iron. So the iron speaks of their, their defenses, how they cannot be destroyed or stopped. And then John, in verse 9 again, this compares their, the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. Um, verse 10, they have tails that stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tail. Now, the word stings here that John uses comes from a Greek word, uh, kentra. Now, a kentra was a pointed stick that people used to prod animals. Um, so their stings, John describes, were like, like, um, like being prodded by sharp sticks. So he's pointing to torture here, the torture that these people will endure. And remember that this judgment is only reserved for those who do not have God's seal on their forehead. So this is for unbelievers. So we're nearly done. So the demonic beings, they look like locusts. They have tails that sting like scorpions. They, they look like horses with human faces and hair. And they are wearing what looks like crowns. Um, and they have lion's teeth. Uh, they're extremely loud, and they have, they have armor. So it's, it's a horrifying image. Uh, but unlike real locusts, these demons, they have a leader. And this is what John there describes for us in verse 11. They have, a, they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abandon, and in Greek he is called Aponion. So... Both of these words, um, one word is Hebrew, the other word is Greek. So what John is portraying, is telling people here, is that these locusts, they will attack all people, both Jew and Gentile alike. And then finally look at verse 12. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. And we will be looking at the sixth trumpet next week. You know, it, it is tough to listen to, isn't it? But this is what's going to come upon the earth. But praise God, as believers, we will not be here for these judgments. We will, we will be in heaven. And those who become believers during the tribulation period, they will also be praising God because these demonic creatures will not be allowed to attack them. And as we make our way through this book, Again, I said it earlier, God will give people every chance to repent. And that's because, as God's word tells us, he does not want anyone, anyone to perish, but to come to know him. Amen. So as the worship team comes up, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for today. We thank you again for your promises. We thank you that 
that we will not experience these judgments, Lord. And Father God, we know your word tells us that we will experience tribulation in this earth, in this life, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would remind us to continue to become ever more closer to you, to look to you, Jesus, through everything that we endure, Lord. And Lord, for all those of us who, who may be suffering this morning, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen their faith, that you would bind Satan from them, Lord, that you will remind them that they are treasured by you, that they are loved, and have your hand of protection over them, have your hand of protection over their families, Lord. Indeed, Lord, have your hand of protection over all of us. Help us, Lord. And Lord, this is, this is tough scripture to, to, to not only teach, but to hear being taught, Lord. But, you know, we are promised to be blessed, Lord, as we read the words of Revelation. So we give you, Lord, all the thanks and praise. We thank you for your continued grace and mercy upon us, Lord. And how blessed we are now that we can lift our voices and give you all the thanks, give you all the praise. We love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, strengthen us. Lift up our weary arms, Lord. Amen.